بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم طهر قلوبنا من كل وصف يباعدنا عن مشاهدتك ومحبتك ومحبة رسولك صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أرحم الراحمين يا رب العالمين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله We are now gathered for module 10 and module 10 concerns matters of the heart and before we go into all of the things that are considered fardain or individually obligatory about the heart we want to do a bit of an overview not like the one in the previous class which was very detailed but more of a general overview to see where this module fits in the big picture of Islam and we go back to a particular image that was in a slide in module one when we introduced the topic of Fardain. We looked at this little model that looks at the entirety of the deen of Islam. And we said that this model, this little chart, is basically the structure we get from the famous hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam. The hadith of Jibreel in which the angel Gabriel appeared in a human form before the Prophet ﷺ wearing very white clothing and with exceedingly dark hair. He sat before him and placed his hands on his thighs and said, tell me about Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ told him about the five pillars. Then he said, tell me about Iman, faith. And the Prophet ﷺ told him about the six pillars of faith. And then he said to him, tell me about Ihsan, Ihsan, which we can translate as spiritual virtue or excellence. And he told him that. So these three questions and the answers given encapsulate the reality of Islam as something that is not just what we say, not just what we do, and not just what we believe, but also what we say, what we do, what we believe, and the actions of the outward and the actions of the inward. So actions are inward and outward. So we see that in the question about Islam, that gives us the outward practice, what we do externally. And that was discussed in all the modules of Fardain pertaining to the ibadat, the acts of worship, the mu'amalat, the interactions, as well as the halal and the haram, what we should not do, what we should abstain from bodily, right? In the component of iman, Iman, here meaning faith, conviction, belief, 
That is the inward convictions, what we believe as Muslims. And we discussed that in module one when we talked about aqidah. And that is our creed. The third component of the deen found in the hadith of Jibreel, when the angel Gabriel asked him, what is ihsan? Ihsan meaning spiritual virtue. That component is what we're focusing on in module 10. What is fardain in the area of ihsan? And ihsan is the spiritual component. It is the inward component. And you have iman as your foundation, your belief. And on the basis of that belief, you act on that belief through what Allah has legislated. And when the two of those are together, your inward conviction and your outward practice, you come to that third component, that third degree, which is ihsan. And we'll get into that hadith and we'll discuss it in a bit more detail uh, coming soon. So I just wanted to give this again, just so we understand where we are. We are talking about fardain matters, but these are fardain matters that pertain to the heart. Now, depending on the condition of the heart, the actions manifest in different ways. So there is this reciprocal relationship that when the heart is pure, the actions that come forth from the person will be pure. And when the heart is impure, when it is darkened due to sin, the actions that come forth from that may also be sinful. Or the things that we do may then affect our heart, either giving it illumination or darkening it. So we'll see this uh, coming soon, inshallah. Now, we want to have an understanding of structure here. And fardain is all about the individually obligatory things that every Muslim has to know. And the ulama, the scholars of Islam, say that the legal obligations in sharia that a person must fulfill are of two categories. There's always categories, aren't there? You know, three categories of this, three types of that. But here we're looking at it from a more bigger picture. The commands in sharia are broadly two categories. There are the legal rulings that pertain to what you do outwardly, right, with your body, what you say and what you do. And then there are legal rulings that pertain to your inward actions. And that's a strange combination of words, because we don't tend to think of inward, uh, the inward having actions. But the heart is not just an organ of the body, it's also a spiritual organ, and there are actions of the heart, purposeful actions of the heart, right? A person may experience different emotions, and they may act on those emotions. Those emotions may come, they may be caused by some external factor. But we also have actions of the heart that we purposely bring about such as fear of Allah, hope in Allah, trust in Allah. These are all actions of the heart. So there's obligations that pertain to the outward and obligations that pertain to the inward. So obligations of the body, obligations of the heart. And that, that should be clear. Now the, uh, the actions of the body, what you do, are also two types. There are commands. Right, the commands of Allah, such as 
prayer and fasting, paying zakat, obedience to parents, you know, any command in sharia that's wajib. And then there are prohibitions, things that we are prohibited from doing with our bodies. So theft, fornication, murder, drinking alcohol, lying, backbiting, and so on. The same thing goes for the actions of the heart. So there's actions of the heart that are obligatory, and there are actions of the heart that are haram, prohibited. So you have commands and prohibitions for the heart as well. Now the commands of the heart, meaning the, the address of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the hearts of human beings with commands, these pertain to convictions, meaning beliefs that we have, that we covered in module one, belief in Allah, belief in the angels, belief in the scriptures, his messengers. It also pertains to states of the heart, right? Thing, commands to have sincerity, the command to be truthful, to the command to be humble and not arrogant, the command to trust in Allah, right? Likewise, there are prohibitions of the heart, things that are haram, that we are prohibited from doing inwardly with our heart. That may be in the area of beliefs or actions of the heart. So disbelief or actions like arrogance, conceitedness, ujub, delusion, blind hatred, hiqd, hasad, envy. You know, envy is an action of the heart. It does manifest outwardly in certain ways, but it is rooted in the heart. And those things are prohibited. So ain that pertains to the heart is looking at what things must the heart do as actions of the heart and what things are prohibited for us to do in our hearts. This cannot be measured, right? And we mentioned this in the previous class. When we talk about the ain of how to make wudu and how to pray, all of those details pertain to what is outwardly observable, what is outwardly measurable. If you stand, if you go and make wudu and then stand and pray, a faqih or some educated Muslim can look at that and say, yes, by the outward standards of sharia, your wudu is valid, and by the outward standards of sharia, your salat is valid. But the faqih, the educated Muslim, or anyone for that matter, cannot say how much humility that person has had, how much concentration they've had in the prayer, because that is not accessible. It's not accessible. We can't gain access to the content of the heart. There may be outward signs, right? But you, a person could also be showing off. They may be making a show of humility, and it's not real. So even if there's outward signs, even ultimately we still don't know. Those things cannot be measured. So we're actually learning things that are located in the heart, that aren't necessarily quantifiable or measurable, but they do have external fruits. Right? They have external fruits that we can see in our life if we have these actions of the heart or if we're lacking in them. Or if we're committing certain haram things in our heart that have certain external manifestations. So, why is this important? It's important because 
in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the heart is the basis. The heart is the seat of the intellect. It is the seat of sincerity. It, the heart is actually more important than the actions of the body. The actions of the body are important. And one cannot say, oh, my heart is good, so I just give, I leave all that stuff. I won't pray because my heart is good. No, that's batil, because if the heart is good, they obey. But the point we're making is that the heart is the, the center, or it's the engine, right? Everything that you do externally of obedience requires an internal motivator. There has to be a catalyst for you to do those things. And that's the heart. And so the heart is the basis and the source for whatever appears outwardly. In one hadith, and there's a difference of opinion about the authenticity of the hadith, but in this hadith it is related. It is said that the Prophet ﷺ said about a man who was fidgeting in his prayer and playing with his beard and doing all these things. It's related that he said that if his heart was khashi' was, was humble, it, his limbs would be humble as well. So the heart affects what we do outwardly, right? The deeds of the heart, the state of the heart, it's the starting point for whatever we do. When the heart is corrupted, the outward actions become corrupted. When the heart is sound, the outward actions become sound. And this is from the statement of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam who said, indeed there is a morsel of flesh, a piece of the body that if it is sound, the whole body will be sound. And if it is corrupt, the whole body will be corrupt. Indeed, he said, it is the heart. And that he also taught us that Allah Ta'ala is looking at our hearts first and foremost. In one hadith he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ صُوَرِكُمْ وَلَا إِلَىٰ أَجْسَادِكُمْ وَلَاكِنْ يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ Allah does not look at your forms, you know, how you look, your physical appearance, short, tall, skinny, whatever. He does not look at your forms, He looks at your heart. Now before someone thinks, well, all that matters is the heart, we say whatever is in the heart will manifest outwardly. Likewise, in another narration of the same hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, Inna Allaha la yanduru ila suwarikum wa la ila ajsadikum wa lakin yanduru ila qulubikum wa a'malikum. Indeed, Allah does not look at your outer forms, but He looks at your heart, your hearts, and your actions. Right? Because the two are in tandem, they go hand in hand. But the heart is the starting point. So this is called Ihsan. There are other words used for this science, right? In the domain of Islam, in the Hadith of Jibreel, what is the science that explains how you carry out the rituals of Islam? What is that science called? Fiqh, right? Jurisprudence. What is the science that explains the component of Iman? Aqidah, right? There's different names. So what is the name of this science? It is called Ilmul Ihsan or Ihsan or Tazkiyah or Tasawwuf or Suluk. There's so many names for this science that pertains to the matters of the heart. And it's one of the greatest maqasid 
of Islam, one of the greatest objectives of the religion, and purifying the heart and teaching how to do that is one of the primary roles of the Prophet and indeed all of the previous Prophets. Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an about the Day of Judgment, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٌ On that day, when neither children nor offspring shall avail one, except that person who comes to Allah بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٌ With a heart that is salim. You know that word salim is from salam, from salama. And salama here means sound. It's safe, it's whole, it's healthy, it's unblemished. That is the reality. So a person has to work at attaining that in this life so that inshallah when Allah takes their soul, the soul is taken and the heart is salim. So that when they come on the day of judgment, their heart is salim. The highest level of salama is for the heart to be uh, safe and uh, unblemished, free, of attachments to other than Allah and worshipping other than Allah. Every Muslim has that. But beyond that is being removing the blemishes of the soul, such as envy, rancor, uh, distrust, dissatisfaction with Allah's decree, and so many other things that we'll be covering that are obligatory for us to know about and to work at removing. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that the seat of the intellect, the seat of understanding, is not the brain, but it is the heart. And this is mentioned in the Qur'an. Allah asks a rhetorical question. Uh, do they not have hearts with which they understand? يَعْقِلُونَ biha, By which they understand. And it is said that Imam Ahmad uh, stated that there is a connection between the brain and the heart, but the heart is the seat of the intellect. Because Allah says, do they not have hearts by which they understand? You have people who are very intelligent, genius level IQs, but they reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they engage in all manners of depravity. You have people who are not so educated, not so smart in the worldly sense, but they know who their Lord is, and they know their purpose, and they purify themselves. That is the seat of the intellect, truly. Because who is more intellectual, who is more intelligent? The one who prefers this life over everything, as if this is all there is? Or the one who knows in the depths of their soul that this is temporary, and they have to live their lives accordingly, knowing that there is accountability? That's true intelligence. So this is just an introduction to the importance of the heart work. And uh, you know, no, one, no one makes the claim that they've done the work and they have reached a stage where they no longer have to do the work. I don't stand before you making any claims of, of, of anything like that. This is, as Imam Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad would say, the intention is for benefiting and attaining benefit for learning and imparting knowledge and taking the counsel myself. One important point to mention before we get into the specifics 
is that when we talk about purification of the heart, this process, it doesn't mean the complete removal of our capacity to do wrong. Because we are human beings. And the Prophet ﷺ told us, Every son of Adam is prone to making mistakes, to making errors. And the best of those who err are those who frequently turn to Allah in repentance. Only the prophets are infallible. We established that in the Aqidah module. Infallibility, meaning the protection from major and minor sins, that is only for the prophets. Because Allah preserves and protects them so that everything they do is followed. So they're protected from falling into sins and error. We are not. We are very, very fallible. What is meant by taskiyatun nafs, purification of the soul, is to do the work on the heart and soul so that good qualities dominate over bad qualities. That we work to remove the bad. Now the ulama of this science, they, they have technical terms they use. Just like in fiqh and in usul and in aqidah, they have all these technical terms. Likewise in this science, there are technical terms. And there are two particular terms we should know at the outset. Uh, the first one is called takhliya. And that is referring to removal. You know, getting the bad out. Getting rid of the bad. Right? Uh, taking out the toxic sludge of the diseases that fester in the heart. That's the takhliya, the removal of the bad. Then there is what is called tahliya. And tahliya means adornment. So you adorn the soul, the heart, with the praiseworthy qualities and you remove the bad qualities from the self. You're doing both. So this is the process, the refinement of the heart. The question that comes up, I'll go back here. The question that comes up, you know, people recognize, yes, we're fallible. Yes, there are diseases of the heart that we have to know about and get rid of. The question often becomes, well, how do I even discover the faults, the inner faults that I have? Right? You know, if you have external faults, maybe you see them in action. If you have internal faults, maybe it's hard to discover them. Maybe you don't know. But as we said, whatever is in the heart will manifest externally. So maybe you don't see it, but maybe others will. So the ulama of the science, they sought to answer this question. How do we actually get to know the faults or the diseases of our heart so that we can work at getting rid of them? And they mention about five ways. So the, the masters of this science, they say that it is necessary to keep the company of a knowledgeable guide if it is possible to find one. That is because the Prophet ﷺ says, إِنَّمَا الْعِلْمُ بتعلم, That knowledge is acquired by learning. And Allah Ta'ala says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. This means keeping the company of a mentor. 
of a person of knowledge about these diseases, who knows what they are and what they look like and how they arise and how to get rid of them. Imam Ibn Ashir, who we'll be introducing uh, towards the end of this class, he mentions in his Al-Murshid Al-Mu'in, in the final section discussing, discussing the Fard Ayn of heart matters, he says, this person, the person must keep the company of a sheikh, a knower of the various paths. The sheikh will save him from the destruction points in his path. The sheikh will remind the disciple of Allah when he sees him and will make the servant reach his master. Basically finding a teacher, a spiritual mentor who will be like a personal trainer, right? The issue is you have that kind of personal trainer, spiritually speaking, it's kind of like the gym. You know, if you watch YouTube videos on how to lift weights and you watch points on form, maybe you'll get the form correctly. But if you go to a proper, qualified, experienced trainer, you pay him money for it, he will point out flaws in your form that you didn't know you had. Or he will see your movement patterns and realize this exercise is not for you because you have muscle imbalances here and here, and that's just going to hurt you. You need to build your, your chassis, your frame first before you start to add this and that exercise. Work on this instead. And they motivate you and they see your form. They give you a program. Because you could always choose a program from online, but you pr you'll probably hop from one to the other looking for something else. But if he knows your form and knows where you're trying to go, that personal trainer can help you uh, in a much easier way than what you would achieve doing it on your own. Uh, and it's much the same way for a spiritual mentor, if they really know this science, and they have also tread that path themselves. The problem is, those types of people are extremely rare. They are as rare as Al-Kibritul Ahmar, as, as red sulfur. And there are many people who adon the title but who are absolute frauds and that's something well known many people who pretend to be the sheikh right yani a sheikh al-allama a sheikh al-murabbi bir sahib and they're absolute frauds so you have to be very careful so i'm not advocating that and if you find such a person it comes after a lot of effort and you know, don't come and ask me, well, who, who would you advise? I don't give any advice like that. So let's operate under the assumption that such a mentor is not to be found. That's by far the easiest way, the easiest hard way. The second way is in the absence of a mentor, because they're so rare, you should seek out truthful and pious friends. Peers, pious friends, good companions, just good people. And these good friends have to be people of nasiha. They can't be friends who won't call you out in a loving way if they see you slipping, if they see you falling into something. Right? We don't want. We don't mean the friend who engages in mujamala. You know, it's just you know they're just, they're so polite that they won't say anything. Like a person walking into. Uh, you know, a sewer hole, an open sewer hole, 
and they don't want to say you're about to fall in because they don't want to raise their voice. No, this is the person who, because they love you and care about you, they'll say, hey, you're about to fall in the sewer hole. Watch out. Watch your step. You need that kind of pious friend who will observe you and you observe them and you give each other nasiha. This is how the Sahaba were. Right? Another way you can find your faults, and this may be a little harder in today's environment. Another way is to look at the statements of your enemies. Anyone who stands for anything must have some people who don't like them. That's the reality. If you don't have any enemies, then you must not stand for anything. So let's assume that there are people who don't really like us for various reasons. If you have enemies and you're able to hear what they say about you, listen very carefully. There's a good chance that although they may not be your friends, that what they say about you has a kernel of truth to it. Right? There's a famous line of poetry from the Diwan of Imam al-Shafi'i. He says, وَعَيْنُ الرِّضَاعِ كُلِّ عِيبٍ كَلَيْلَةٍ وَلَكِنْ عَيْنَ الصَّخْطِ تُبْدِ الْمَسَاوَيَا he says that the eye of satisfaction, you know, the eye of satisfaction, the eye that is happy with the person, is like the dark night when it comes to seeing the person's faults. If the, if the eye is happy with you, they won't see your faults the same way they won't see anything in the dark night. However, the eye of dissatisfaction will disclose all infamies, meaning you know, they'll see everything about you. Now, in the age of social media, I wouldn't go by what people say on social media, but if there are people in real life, what we call meat space, and they have certain observations about us, it's worth listening to. There's an old saying in America, if one person calls you a donkey, don't pay them any attention. If five people call you a donkey, go get a saddle. There's probably an element of truth to it. There probably... Maybe, okay, maybe they're enemies for whatever reasons. That doesn't mean that every observation they have about us is false. This takes a high degree of sincerity and objectivity, but it is a way. Another way is to mingle with people and interact with lots of people. And if you see something you dislike about others, you know, some, you know certain things that just really irk you, about people, you know, you know, the way they say something or do something. If you find that this particular thing is always irking you, whenever you see it, there's a good chance that you have it too. And in that way, annoying people can become a sheikh for you. You know, that annoying person who's doing X, Y, Z, or who seems to be arrogant, they can be a teacher for you because they are teaching you what you should not be like. And there's a good chance that if it really annoys you, you may have something of that yourself. That's one way. And this is actually based on a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ says, Al-Mu'min Mir'atul Mu'min. The believer is a mirror of his fellow believer. So in many ways, the annoying things or offensive behaviors we dislike others are actually reflecting something about us. Not always, but it's something to keep in mind. Lastly, 
you can study a class like this, right? Or you could study the books that have been written specifically on the illnesses of the heart and how they are treated. And when you go through those books, or in a class like this, you go through each disease, each fault, one by one, and you see which one applies to you. Some of them may not apply. Usually what happens is when you go through the list of faults, you'll see clearly which ones apply and which ones do not apply. Some of them will actually hurt. You read, it, you read the description and you say, oh, that, that sounds like me. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have that kind of self-knowledge. Now here in the slide, I put uh, four books. If this is something you want to explore in greater detail, I think you can't, you can't go wrong with these four books. Now, even if you had to only get one, I would get the one called Purification of the Heart, the one with the picture of the man on the cover. If you only had to get one. Um, on, on the far left, we have Imam al-Ghazari. This is his book from the Ihya on self-examination. How do you examine yourself? Uh, the second one is on disciplining the soul, also by Imam Ghazali. Uh, Purification of the heart. This is actually a commentary on the first half of Matharatul Qulub, the purification of the hearts that we covered, two, I think, two years ago in Ramadan, or three Ramadans ago. Uh, the last book in this list is called Uyub uh, al-Nafs in Arabic or the infamies of the soul and their treatments. And this is by Al-Imam Abdul Rahman As-Sulami, an early hadith scholar. And he lists, I think, 69 faults. And this is a very good book. And it's actually much shorter than these others. So if you had to only get one, I would say purification of the heart. If you had to only get two, purification of the heart, followed by infamies of the soul. But if you can get all four, if this is something you want to study more, yeah, all four of these are really good. You can't go wrong with them. What we're going to do is kind of condense all of that, right? And that is uh, kind of where we are now. This is the Fard Ayn about Ihsan. So we go back to the hadith. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, when the angel Jibreel asked him about Ihsan, what did he say? He says, Al-Ihsan, an ta'budullaha ka'annaka tarah. وَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكُ It is that you worship Allah as though you see Him. And though you do not see Him, and if you do not see Him, you know that He sees you. So you see here very clearly the hadith describing Ihsan mentions two aspects to it. أَن تَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَى That you worship Allah as though you see Him. That's number one. وَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكُ And if you do not see him, you know he sees you. That's the second component. The scholars of this science mentioned that these are actually two degrees. One is superior to the other. And in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentions the, mo the more superior first. So when he says, that you worship Allah as though you see Him, he is describing the apex, the epitome, the highest level of Ihsan. 
which is described by the scholars as mushahada, this experiential witnessing. Where in the Hadith Qudsi, Allah Jalla Jalaluhu says, when the person attains that high state, uh, I become their eye by which they see, their ear by which they hear, their hand by which they grasp, and their feet by which they walk. Meaning it is an experiential witnessing of the divine, uh, not a literal witnessing, but it's an experiential one where everything is by Allah, for Allah, and with Allah. It's the highest degree. The second aspect of Ihsan is that of muraqaba, that of vigilance and deep awareness, consciousness. Because he says, and if you do not see him, you know that he sees you. That describes awareness, a high degree of consciousness and vigilance, being watchful over the states of the heart and what a person says and does. So, you know, either of these two, they're very high. They're very high. And it is through the practice, the, the sound beliefs and living those beliefs in the rituals of Islam, the component of Iman and Ihsan, mastering those two that you attain Ihsan. Nevertheless, there are aspects of this that are not voluntary. They're not uh, extracurricular activity for those who are spiritually inclined. There are aspects of this that are absolutely fard on every single Muslim, right? In the path of seeking Ihsan, right? And that's what we're going to discuss in this module. So all of this is basically an introduction. We haven't gotten into the meat of the topic yet. And that brings us to the meat. Uh, we're going to discuss the foundations of Ihsan. And I don't see what time is it. We have the time. Uh, we're going to discuss the foundations of Ihsan. And then we're going to do a reading of a text that presents the basic Fard'ayn aspects of Ihsan that we need to know. And I think you'll find it to be an interesting text, uh, and I'll get to that soon. By foundations of Ihsan, I mean the absolute essentials. We have at number one, Tawbah, repentance. That is an action of the heart. It may be expressed on the tongue, but it's an action of the heart. It's fardain to know how to make tawbah, right? And we'll discuss that. The observance of taqwa, outwardly and inwardly, right? That is a foundation of ihsan. The next one, necessary actions connected with purification of the heart, such as guarding the gaze, the eyes, guarding the ears, Guarding the tongue, guarding the stomach and privates, and guarding the hands and feet. So you see those were discussed in the previous module. When we talked about the halal and haram, we're actually covering these. So you see, it's not that we, we don't artificially separate things. There, there is continuity, right? Number four, only doing things once one knows Allah's ruling concerning them. This is a fundamental principle that one cannot and should not do something until they know what is the hukum of Allah, the ruling of Allah in that particular action. So our approach as Muslims when doing anything in life should be ready, aim, 
fire, meaning I'm ready to do it. I'm aiming, you know, I'm getting to know, I'm seeing what exactly is the ruling. If it's halal or good, boom, I do it. The problem is, a lot of people have the opposite approach. It's fire, ready, aim. And they do the thing, something goes wrong in life, and then they wonder, oh, Islamically, was that okay? Was that okay to do Islamically? What's the ruling on that in Sharia? After, but that's after the fact. Ideally, you know that first and only proceed if you know it's okay. Uh, number five, cleansing the heart from the inward sins, such as showing off, envy, etc. We'll discuss those in the next couple of weeks. Number six is knowing the root cause. Right? It's one thing to cleanse yourself of sins and try to remove them, but if you know where they're coming from, it's like getting to the bottom of the matter. What is the root of the issue? Right? If you have cockroaches coming in your house, of course you can spray them. Every time you see them, you have that bottle. and the, Whenever you see them, psh, you kill them. Another one comes, psh, you kill it. That'll work. But a far more effective way is to figure out where they're coming from. You call in the exterminator, and they put the traps, and they go inside the house, outside the house, and you know, before you know it, you're cockroach-free. So the same thing for the heart. You want to figure out, well, why do I have these in the first place? Why do I have these and not these? And what's causing that? And then how do I address the root cause? That is a foundation. Uh, number seven. Keeping the company of a righteous shaykh or mentor. Right? Just having good suhbah. It's so important. So many people, they lose their way just because they take the wrong friends. And if they address that, problems often fix themselves. So that is a pillar. Another one is taking the self to account. The self-audit. The muhasaba. Number nine, guarding the wajib actions and increasing with recommended actions. Right? Al-muhafadha ala al-fara'id wal-wajibat. And then increasing with the mandubat, the mustahabbat. Right? The basics. Uh, number ten, plentiful dhikr. Number eleven, striving against the lower self. Mujahada. You know, actually doing the work. Not just talking about it. Doing, actually doing the work. Number 12, adorning the heart with spiritual virtues, such as hope, love, fear, trust, etc. So it's not just getting rid of the bad, it's also inculcating the good. And lastly, contentment, arida, contentment with the divine decree. And we'll be touching on all of these. Where do these come from? Well, these all, there's 13 here. Uh, I join one of them together, so it's actually 14 in total. These 14 are basically a summary of what Imam Ibn Ashir mentions in his work at Murshid al Mu'in. And I want to look at that poem. Because he put it all there. Al-Murshid al-Mu'in 
is a basic primer. It's a basic text that was written by Imam Abdul Wahid ibn Ashir. And in that poem, he sought to explain the basics of belief, the basics of how the deen is transmitted and understood, the basics of the of tahara, of purification, of salat, of zakat, of fasting, of hajj, and then matters of the heart, the fard'ain matters of the heart. So it is a fard'ain text that was written by Imam Ibn Ashir, and there's dozens of commentaries on it. It was memorized and still is to this very day, mostly in North Africa, mostly in uh, North Africa, Algeria, Morocco, Mauritania, and these places. Uh, because Imam Ibn Ashir was a Madiki, he was, he's buried in Fas, rahimahullah. But in that text, in the final section, he just describes the foundations of Ihsan, that everything, that everyone needs to know. So we're going to read that, just the translation, and see what he says. So he titles this, The Book of the Beginnings of the Spiritual Path, and that which guides to the knowledge of Allah. He starts by saying, Repentance, Tawbah, from all misdeeds which are committed, is wajib right away, without stipulations, and is known as feeling sorry for what one did, nadam, remorse. Repentance has the preconditions of ceasing the act of disobedience, iqla', stopping it and intending not to persist. Let the person cancel out the misdeed with as much asking for forgiveness as is possible. So the first two lines concern the first foundation, tawbah. He says the upshot of God-fearingness, taqwa, is the avoidance of prohibitions, muharramat, and the following of commands externally and internally, and with this it is obtained. Taqwa, internally, externally. So the divisions of necessary actions in the path have come as four in number. And they are, for the spiritual traveler, the ways which lead to benefit. Number one, he must lower his gaze from the unlawful. He must restrain his ears away from verbal misdeeds, such as backbiting, tail-carrying, false witnessing, and lying. And it's more proper that he restrain his own tongue from engaging in these acts. So you know, all of these we've talked about. It's all in the previous modules. He must guard his stomach from intaking the haram. He must leave what is doubtful, considering it significant. He must guard over his front private part, private part and fear the ever-present witness, Allah, in what he reaches out towards with his hand and what he hastens towards with his feet of what is forbidden. Now, avoiding haram with the hands and the feet as well. Hands, feet, privates, eyes, ears, tongue, all of the things we talked about in module 9 are discussed here. And that's because we talk about the heart. These are the external effects of the heart, 
and they in turn affect the heart. There's that reciprocal relationship. He must avoid engaging in affairs until he knows what Allah has ruled about them. We talked about that. He must cleanse his heart from showing off for people, as well as resentful envy, conceit, and all other diseases. And we'll be discussing these one by one. What they are, how to get rid of them. He says, know that the root of all calamities of the heart is loving leadership slash rank slash influence and forgetting about the coming life. Uh, so here you see I put leadership, rank, influence all together. Because in Arabic the word is jah. And jah carries all those meanings. He says that that is the root of the calamities of the heart. And forgetting about the hereafter. The head of all misdeeds is loving the present world, al-ajila. And there is no real cure for these diseases except calling upon Allah while feeling extreme need. Remember, this is an overview. We're going to explain all of these in detail in the coming weeks. He must keep the company of a sheikh, a knower of the various paths. The sheikh will save him from the destructive points in his path. And by saving him, it doesn't mean he does the work for him. It means that he teaches him. He gives him the tools he needs to do the work. He educates him. He shows him the subtle pitfalls and the delusions. He removes these misunderstandings from him by teaching him and mentoring him. He doesn't do the work for him. You know, no one can pray your prayers for you. No one can do the dhikr for you. You've got to do it. The shaykh will remind the disciple of Allah when he sees him. Not just with his words, but reminds him with his hal, his state. When he sees that person, he is reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and piety and beautiful conduct. He's reminded of the Prophet sallallahu because this person embodies those realities. It's not just talk. He really reminds him of that. And it will make the servant reach his master. And he's the means of helping him along the way. He must reckon and take to account the lower self with each breath. That's the muhasaba, the taking the self to account. He must weigh his thoughts with the correct balance. And that's the khawatir. He must guard over the wajib acts of the deen, the obligatory acts, which serve as his capital, ratsul mal. And the recommended deeds are their profit, which he successively obtains, his ribh. He must do plenteous remembrance with a clear mind. And the help in doing all of this is from his Lord. He must strive against the lower self or the Lord of the worlds, mujahada. He must embellish himself with the stations of certainty. This is the tahliya of fear, hope. Thankfulness, patience, repentance, abstinence, dependence on Allah, contentment, and love. He must be true to him who sees him in all of his dealings. He must be happy with what the one God decrees for him. That's the rida, the satisfaction with the decree. He will become with this a knower of Allah who is free, riyah, And those other than Allah will vacate his heart. You know, his heart won't be not a house that 
in which dwells all sorts of anxieties and desires and material cravings and uh, resentfulness and all of this ugly stuff, it will be a heart, a, a heart that is a house purified so that the person can focus on their purpose. So the one God, Allah, will love him and choose him for his sanctified presence and make him among the elect. This is it. This is the poem describing the basics of the path. Now it's for us to now look at them in a, through a more detailed lens so we understand, well, what are the bad qualities we have to get rid of? What are the good qualities of the heart that we have to take on? How do we do all that work? That's what we're going to be covering in the next few sessions. Bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. So, uh, as we close, I just want to explain the format moving forward. The next class, we're going to talk about sin. Now, we've already talked about that in the previous module when we spoke about the halal and the haram. But we want to talk about sin from a much more broader perspective. We want to look at what is major sin and what is minor sin. What is a kabira and what is a saghira? How do we determine what a major sin is from a minor sin? And how many are there? And what are they? If they're major, that means we should know what they are. So we have to know what they are, how they're determined, and talk a bit about that. We also, after that, we then talk about the sins of the heart that must be removed. What are they? How do they arise? And how do we get rid of them? And lastly, we talk about the obligatory actions of the heart, meaning the good things, the good positive qualities that we should inculcate. What are they? What do they mean? How do we get them? And with that, we will have, inshallah, talked about the fard'ain aspects of ihsan, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. We have a few minutes before Risha. So. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, so Brother Khal is asking about the place of niya in all of this intention. It is because we talk about it when we speak about sincerity. So ikhlas pertains to the qas, the niya of the person. What is the purpose behind their action? So the niya, there's two basic ways we address niya. There is the niya that distinguishes one action from another. For instance, when you go to pray dhuhr and you have the niya in your heart that you're praying dhuhr, what's the benefit of that niya? It distinguishes dhuhr from a voluntary prayer or it distinguishes dhuhr from asr, right? That's one aspect of niya. It distinguishes uh, acts of worship from mundane actions and it distinguishes different acts of worship that are similar. The other aspect of niyyah is the sincerity of the niyyah. Is the niyyah for Allah, or does it involve showing off for other people? So that's where we discuss niyyah, inshallah. Any other questions?
All right. Yeah. So if you want the more detailed explanation of module 10, I have good news for you. It's already available. If you go to the YouTube channel, we have Matharatul uh, Qulub, part one and two. Uh, three Ramadans ago, we covered the first half of that text, the purification of the hearts by Imam Muhammad Mawlud. And in the first half, he discusses the diseases of the heart, where they come from, and how do you get rid of them. Uh, the Ramadan after that, we went over part two of Matharatul Qulub, the second half that discusses the good qualities, what they are and how we get them. So we covered the entire text, alhamdulillah, between those two Ramadans. And I think we did 28 or 29 sessions for each. So, I mean, it's pushing 60 lessons. Uh, they're not an hour each, but some are like 20 minutes, some 40. But it's a, it's a good class that talks about all of this in a lot of detail. Uh, most of what we're going to cover is really a summary of what is contained in that course. So you could do that before this or after this or concurrently, whatever you want to do, but it's there. Great, inshallah. We'll see you all next week. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum.